Welcome to the Cuban Family Roots Podcast, a monthly podcast dedicated to discussing Cuban history and ancestral roots. I'm your host, Aileen Vega, podcasting from Woodbridge, New Jersey. As a genealogy enthusiast, I created the Cuban Family Roots Podcast to help others in their genealogical journey. I conduct interviews with Cuban researchers and geneticists, authors, and those with knowledge and expertise in Cuban history and genealogical research. I'm committed to conducting interviews that will point to genealogical information and resources to lead family historians in the right path to finding their family roots. From 1492, when Columbus claimed the island for Spaniards to present-day Cuban, our history has been rich and traumatic. Now our family history is slowly vanishing due to archival despair. Cubans inside and outside the island yearn to capture, learn our past, our origins, and our ancestral roots. Knowledge of our history is the key to keeping our Cuban family roots alive. I hope you enjoy listening to each episode as much as I enjoy producing them. The Cuban Family Roots Podcast can be heard on Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and many other platforms. You can support us by simply listening and engaging. Hello and welcome to the Cuban Family Roots Podcast. I'm your host, Aileen Vega, podcasting from Woodbridge, New Jersey. We're in March 2022. Spring is right around the corner. The month is set aside to honor women's contribution in American history. This is a celebration to honor the often overlooked contributions of women in history, society, and culture. Because I'm Cuban and this is a podcast about Cuban roots, I'd like to dedicate this podcast to honor a Cuban woman for her contribution to society and culture. Unfortunately, she was forgotten through history. Her name, Maria de las Mercedes Santa Cruz y Montalvo, also known as Mercedes, and later, Comtes Merlin. My guest, Alina Garcia La Puerta, has resuscitated this fascinating woman in a historical bio biography entitled La Belle Creole the Cuban countess who captivated Havana, Madrid, and Paris. We'll be right back with more about the Cuban countess. The audacious woman nicknamed La Belle Creole is brought to life in a book by Alina Garcia La Puerta. Alina spent 10 years of research through Mercedes' memoirs, accounts, to bring us this fascinating book. Mercedes was a Cuban-born aristocrat writer, socialite, a salon host, and a participant in the Cuban slavery debate. She was raised in Cuba by her grandmother and at the age of 13 was sent to Spain to live with her mother. During political chaotic time in Europe, Mercedes enchanted those she came across with her beauty and her singing voice. She married a French general in Napoleon's army and rubbed shoulders with people like Goya, Rossini, Balzac, and royalty. She was famous for her writing and her beautiful voice. Her memoirs and travel writings introduced European audiences to 19th century Cuban society and contributed to the debate over slavery. Because of Alina Garcia La Puerta's book, La Belle Creole, we're being introduced to this fascinating woman 
who deserves to be rediscovered by this new generation of Cuban Americans, not only because she was part of Cuban aristocracy, but also for her contribution in history, culture, and society. And now a little background on my guest, Alina Garcia La Puerta, who's a Cuban-American born in La Habana and raised in the United States. She's the author of La Belle Creole, the Cuban countess who captivated Havana, Madrid, and Paris. Alina graduated magna cum laude with a bachelor's in science in international economics from Georgetown University School of Foreign Service, where she was elected to Phi Beta Kappa. She later received a master's degree in international relations from Tufts University Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy, and worked for a number of years in banking, both at Chase and Federal Reserve Bank of Boston. Now based in London, she still spends considerable time in South Florida. She's a member of Biographers International Organization, Biographers Club of London, and Pan America, as well as being a trustee of two medical research charities. I am honored to have had this opportunity to interview Alina Garcia la puerta. And today's featured guest is the author of the book La Belle Creole, the Cuban countess who cultivated Havana, Madrid, Paris. Let's welcome to the show Alina Garcia La Puerta. Alina, Hello. welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, today we want to celebrate a Cuban woman and not too many uh, Cubans know of her. Her name is Mercedes Santa Cruz de Montalvo. We want to start with um, more with her background. Who is she? A hostess of probably one of the best known Parisian musical salons of the time from like in the 1820s and 30s. Um, and at a time where Paris was like the musical capital of the world, it was pretty much the cultural capital of everything. Um, and she was incredibly well known and and successful. She was a very talented singer. And she was also, she's considered officially the earliest female Cuban writer, because she wrote, um, started publishing memoirs and other books while she was in Paris. But she comes from a family background that's really interesting for Cubans, for people who are interested in Cuba. Um, some people may or may not know, I think you did a show before a podcast on this. Um, they're is sort of a Cuban aristocracy, people who had titles and what have you. Right. There are a lot of, they're basically a lot of the families, the time period I'm talking about, she was born 1789. There were a lot of the families who also happened to own a lot of lands. They had ingenios, you know, sugar mills, they had tobacco, they have coffee, whatever. They, they sort of dominated the whole economic spectrum in colonial Cuba. And she came from a family that you could say is at the heart of this whole thing. So both both the Santa Cruz and the Montalvo families, and they're related to like a million other of these families of the time period. Um, her father and and mother, well, her father had a title. He was El Conde de Haruco. Um, and later on, he had another title, Conde de Mopox. Um, he, as a young man, inherited you know a fair amount of money. Um, and he was someone who sort of was a, a person who didn't, you know, go to Madrid and make a lot of contacts in the court, sort of also represent some of his family and interest of people he knew and stuff like that. And his wife, who was, they had had two children, and they left both of them, including Mercedes, who was only about 
two months old or a few months old at the time, they left her in Cuba. And they didn't even leave her with her brother. They got split up in different family members. And she was really raised by her um, great-grandmother, and who she called Mamita. Um, and so her parents sailed off, and her father had incredible success making contacts over in Madrid and was involved in pretty much every economic thing going on in Cuba, became a sort of big force in that. But she was still in, in Cuba, and she did not see her father again until he returned when she was just almost nine years old, seeing her mother, really, you know, because her mother didn't return back. And she also had siblings in Madrid who she, at this point, had never met either. At some point, you know, her father decided when she was around 12 years old that he would take her to Spain um, to sort of be polished up so that at some point she could be married because that would be the typical plan for a girl of her type of family. You know, you, you, you sort of get polished up. Um, she had been put for a time at a, in the convent of Santa Clara and she actually ran away, escaped. It was a big scandal in Havana at the time. Uh, but basically the idea was she would make a useful marriage, you know, uh, a, a well-connected marriage. Um, so he took her, she had a, she went to Spain with him and uh, it was the time that she met her mother. And then her father sailed away almost immediately and went back to Cuba to continue his, his business dealings and his uh, government positions and all that stuff. And she actually never saw him again. She was very, she adored her father, as she wrote mm -hmm. later on. She really, really adored him, but she never saw him again. Um, and, and yes, and he died while she was still in, in Spain. So that sort of gets you there. She She's also a person who, historical timings and coincidences, she just happened to be in a lot of really incredibly interesting places at the heart of certain things. So she was in Cuba when, you know, before at a time that before it had become this big sugar producer, it was just starting to get that way. And it was really mm -hmm. all her families who were involved with that. Then she was in Madrid at a time when short, you know, after her father died and such, you get the Napoleonic invasions and um, all the Napoleonic wars. And her family was very involved in all that. Um, so she all of the what they call in English the Peninsular War in Spain um, and then after that she actually ended up being married off to a French general and after the French were defeated Napoleon you know and all the forces were defeated she actually had to flee into exile in Paris which is how she ended up in Paris and okay. then she sort of transformed herself I mean and that's sort of that's where people will know about her because of what she she basically sort of took charge of her own life at that point after they had lost a lot of their, you know, sort of standing, social standings and such like that. And it was incredible, but she became one of the most, you know, influential women um, in Paris, in France, knew everyone, everyone knew her. I mean, talking about some of the most famous people in music and opera and writers, um, she, you know, uh, Alexander Dumas, who wrote The Count of Monte Cristo, you know, and mm -hmm. yes. one of his earliest books, he features a whole evening at the salon of the, of the Condesa de Merlin, of the Comtesse Merlin. And, uh, and he describes her as a character, you know, his characters are describing her in the book and how she goes from one group to another, like welcoming everyone. And she's so charming and she always just has the exact correct phrase and what have you. 
Um, but she was really something else. And she ended up writing her memoirs about growing up in Cuba, about her time in Madrid. Also, eventually she took a trip back to Cuba because she never forgot her Cuban roots. She was very, very much remembered them. And um, she ended up writing a book about that, which the Spanish version is called Viaje a La Habana. It, it captures what life was like in 1840. Havana. And it's probably the best description of colonial Cuba than anybody that still can be read today. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so those are sort of like the highlights of her, her life, but it was more everything that she managed to accomplish in another country as an exile, as a, you know, it sort of has a lot of um, echoes of a lot of things with Cubans, you know, the, the having to leave your homeland, you know, always remembering it, having, right. you know, being able sometimes to go back um, and then sort of like remembering it again. But basically she, she achieved quite, quite a bit in, in France. And as I said, she's the first, she's officially the, the first um, Cuban fem female author. So, which is a big deal because back then yeah. women didn't publish a lot. So it was right. Yeah. I don't think they were allowed to. <laughs> yeah, no, they didn't have as many opportunities. In Europe, you know, in France, yes, more so. No Cuban right. woman did this. I mean, like I said, they were her path would have been just to get married, which is sort of initially what they did, you know, what yeah, you know, the path. But she decided that wasn't enough. And she she really it's interesting because by the by the time of her heyday in, in France, no one ever mentioned her father or her uncle who had been important in Madrid or her husband, it was all about her. She was the one that everybody focused on. So, and she did it all on her own, right? And she did it all on her own. I mean, yes, she obviously, she arrived with, you know, some connections, maybe she was able to be introduced, but it was really her own talents. I mean, it was her musical talent. It was her own charm. It was, she had learned from her mother. Her mother had had a, also was very, you know, a, a good hostess, so to speak. Um, so she knew how sort of she, she knew how to make her way in society, but she had her own talents. And I think she was also very savvy in ways that we don't think of someone from like, you know, the 1800s being, but she knew sort of how to market herself. You know, she, she was friends with a lot of important journalists and editors of like newspapers and magazines then. And, you know, she got a lot of coverage. So she would host these salons where they became known as the passport to celebrity. So if you wanted to establish yourself as like a musician or something like that, performing at her salon was like a big deal and you would get a lot of coverage. Um, but she was always in these like weekly columns or if she organized a concert for some charity, which she sort of also developed the whole idea of a charity concert. She sort of, you know, pioneered that idea she would get a lot of coverage and she was just, when she wrote her first book, she used all her friends, you know, all her connections to get well-known writers to do reviews of it or to, you know, be included in the newspaper or to get serialized. Um, so she did everything she could. She knew how to sort of work the, the, the equivalent of the social media, I guess, back then. I, I imagine yeah. like, you know, if she lived today, she would have had an Instagram account or something <laughs> like that, I would imagine. In but, fact, um, she, she was a participant in the Cuban uh, slavery debate. I mean, she so she, she must have been somebody very influential to even get into that debate. Yeah, so, so yes, because when she went back to Cuba, um, after being gone for like 38 years or more, um, she 
you know, she found this country that was totally transformed and the whole sugar and slavery was an issue and what have you. She had a lot of friends in what they would call, I don't know, like, you know, the sort of the intellectuals of Cuba. Um, there was a lot of censorship back then by the Spanish government. So those people couldn't really publish very easily, like even debate or discuss, you know, mm -hmm. uh, publicly things like the slavery issues or the trade, you know, the whole things like that. Um, they gave her a lot of information and actually she published one sort of simplified version in Spanish, which is Viaje a La Habana, which is more mm -hmm. kind of cultural and things like that. And then there was a more extensive book written in, published in France and that covered the economy, whatever. And it had a chapter on the slave, on the slave trade and on whether Spain should enforce stopping the slave trade, which they should have. Um, and she wrote all of that and it was, based on a lot of the information given by her friends who they would have gotten in incredible trouble or not even been able to publish it. But she, you know, with her influential circle and being abroad, she could publish it for them. And, you know, they then took that, that part about the slave and, and translated it into Spanish into like a pamphlet, but it was never actually allowed to be published in Cuba. It was available in, in Spain. It was available in France. It was given to people in the U S actually. Um, to read, but it was interesting because she, again, that was like something that no Cuban woman actually had ever done before. Very few women in general, but um, right. yeah, so she, she definitely served, tried to help, you know, her, her friends in Cuba because she never forgot her homeland. She felt, you know, incredible passion for her. The, the way she wrote about it, you can just see how much she longed for, you know, remembered her time as a child there too, and just remembered the country and, and everything. It's really some some beautiful lyrical writing that she did about it. So, yeah, yeah. but yeah, she she was cutting edge in a lot of ways. Um, do you think she was influential in debate about slave slavery? I think it was taken seriously because, as I said, she was also voicing what did it actually accomplish anything? I don't know, because at the same time that that got published is when Cuba had some of the most um there was a big uprising and the, the Spanish government really came down really hard. It's the Escalera mm -hmm. conspiracy uh, came down very hard on it. So most of her friends who had, you know, been trying to have these debates and what have you were, many of them were imprisoned or exiled for, you know, either forever or for a time. Um, so it's, it's difficult to tell how much influence, you know, per se her, her writing is, but it was definitely something that, it brought it more to the attention and I think it probably added, you know, added more to the discussion, which was a, it was a, it was something that was like quite debated because, um, you know, for, for quite a while, because in, in Europe, there were different thoughts about the whole thing, but um, yeah, it's, it's hard to answer that exactly because, right, right. you know, but definitely it was something quite, quite unique and especially how she, how she presented it and what have you. My next question is a little bit more personal. Is about you. Why did you decide to write about what <laughs> let you? Yeah, I, I know this. This research took you how many years? It was about ten years, probably wow. from start to finish. I mean, not all of it intensive, but towards the end it was more intensive. But it started off started off with a lot of curiosity. Actually, I had uh, I had always liked. You know, I was interested in my in Cuba in general, as most Cuban Americans, most Cuban born people are. Um, and I had 
some books that were, I think, quite popular for a while. They were like photographic coffee table type books of old Havana, you know, the buildings and things like that. And several of them mentioned or would mention, you know, describe, describe what life was like in colonial Cuba. And they quoted her. They quoted that Viaje a La Habana. You know, mm -hmm. they, they said, oh, as the Condesa Merlin described or as the French, you know, uh, as the Condesa Merlin who lived in France, you know, blah, 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 you know, described. And I, I remember thinking, what is this Cuban woman doing in Paris, you know? And I was just really curious about her. And I started looking up what I could about her then. Um, and then the first things I found were, you know, all of these little bio things saying, you know, she knew everyone. She knew, you know, Napoleon. She knew all of these famous composers. She knew Balzac. She knew Dumont. She knew this. She knew all these writers. She was everywhere, you know. This, and I was like, how could I have not heard of this Cuban woman who had been, <laughs> she was all over the place. And it, it has to be exaggerated. You know, it's just typical exaggeration, you know, that she couldn't possibly have been in all these places, know all of these people and been that famous. And I have never heard of her. So, you know, not that I know everything, but just, that's just amazing to me. So the more I started looking into her, the more fascinated I become, because she sort of seduces you a little bit. I mean, she really yeah. is a fascinating character. She really is. But I also found so much confusion, you know, like one person would say this, another author would write something else. They contradicted each other. And so I just said, you know, the only way to get to the bottom, besides reading her own works, obviously, is to go back to sort of like primary research, you know, actually go to the archives, try to find actual documents, find out what's really going on at the different periods. Um, and so that's what I did. And that's what sort of slowly led me to want to put it as a book and sort of bring her back to life because she was very famous and she was sort of forgotten. And then some people, she had started becoming not well known again, but at least more known in the academic world, you know, because people mm -hmm. were looking at her writings and they were finally, finally acknowledging her as like the first Cuban female writer, um, things like that. But I just was like, she has such a fascinating life and she was such a, an amazing character that I wanted, I wanted more people to know about her and Cubans to know, you know, Cuban Americans to know about her. Cause I think we don't know enough about this whole colonial past, you know, whether you like it or not, but we just don't know a lot about it. Um, I think our starting point started, you know, with the revolution or the war of independence or, you know, what have you, but there's so much, you know, we were, you know, Cubans were everywhere. They, they, she wasn't the only one in Europe, for example. She wasn't the only one in Madrid. She wasn't the first one in Paris. Um, she wasn't the last. You know, there were people also, many before her, traveled to all kinds of places and did all kinds of things. Um, so I think all of that, to me, was, you know, trying to bring back a little bit of, of our history back to life. In her memoir and travel writings, she was able to introduce Europeans to the 19th-century Cuban society. Do you think... Had it not been for her, Europeans probably wouldn't have so much about us Cubans in that time. Yeah, I don't think they knew a lot because actually they they didn't even, even though France, for and, and, and this goes for Spain and France, actually, even though it's next to Spain, didn't always know a lot about Spain itself, too, uh, let alone, you know, what they viewed as the colonies and what have you. They, I think they didn't know a lot um, and a lot of what they knew maybe was a little bit it, it fascinated them though they they viewed it as a little bit more exotic she definitely played that a little bit too in her writings to you know to mm -hmm. sort of like 
get them interested. Um, but yeah, I, I think definitely, I mean, even Cubans, I mean, the, the, the time period she wrote about when she was a child, you know, from, from before she went to Havana, I mean, mm -hmm. sorry, before she went to Madrid, no one writes about that time period. There's very little anywhere available, like firsthand. That's not like an official document, you know, or something like that. Right. Um, you know, her descriptions of what life was like, yes. And um, she definitely, definitely introduced, because lots of other people in France then became interested in traveling there and wrote and published their own sort of versions after she did or around the time she did. And they almost all start by mentioning her, you know, how they, they know, you know, about her, about her mem in her memoirs that she had mentioned this and then they say that. Um, so she definitely was the, the person who, who got people interested in, in looking at that. And I think in Spain, it was the same as it is even, you know, today. It's like they knew, maybe they knew a little bit more um, mm -hmm. because there were more, many more links than people realized, you know, in terms of how it was governed and people going back and forth. But even they viewed it as her mother. There's a description of writer writing in during her mother's lifetime in Madrid. Uh, used her mother as like a character and uh, it's not a well-known book or anything but he used her as a character and he had her very exotic this beautiful wealthy you know um, Cuban woman uh, of the tropics who used to send was so wealthy and so beautiful and so this that used to send all her laundry all the way from Spain to Cuba to be washed so then it would come back smelling of the tropics and people actually believe this kind of thing you know it's like, but it's like i don't think you could actually do that but who knows it's like um yeah but they she definitely introduced them i think to to a lot of aspects of, of life in cuba that was one of her goals actually with with the viaje a la Habana and uh -huh. the Havana. as a result of your book has anyone in genealogy contacted you <laughs> claiming that uh, she's an ancestor of theirs or anything like that? Well, I had, yes, I have, I, well, there were, I was lucky, first of all, to meet some of her actual descendants who I tracked down using genealogy, actually, like using oh, wow. different, um, different websites that are well known, you know, trying to figure out because I was pretty sure she had descendants through her daughter, not through her sons, but through her daughter. And she does. And I was lucky to meet them. But after the book came out, um, yeah, I did. I, either at talks I did or reaching out through, you know, through email, through my website or what have you. Some people actually were, you know, uh, descendants of different family members, you know. So, for example, like um, from her Montalvo side or the O'Farrells, who she's related to, you know, who was also her mother's side or or the Santa Cruz or different people like that. Um, and they were all very excited because they clearly if they did know about her and it was somehow linked to their family, you know, they were very interested. Then I also had people who had had sort of like some family story, like an oral, you know, thing of like somehow they were related to her. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes they would say they thought maybe descendants, which was a little difficult because all her descendants are actually in France, the, the ones that live. Um, right. But but there was probably some connection. Um, it could be through the Santa Cruz or whatever. And I think that shows you a little bit of how how big an impact she had. You know, back in the day, she was quite well known that mm -hmm. families were, you know, would be like, we're connected to her somehow, you know, what have mm -hmm. you. Um, and I did, you know, if anybody did actually reach out, I would try to figure out how they might be, because I know that 
I love genealogy. So, you know, I, I want to know how, uh, whatever, how people are related or how I'm related to something or not. But um, researching her actually also was a great learning experience mm -hmm. for where, where to find a lot of sources for genealogy for Cubans, even things that might not be so obvious um, because, you know, it, it was a wonderful, wonderful sort of crash course in, you know, different families. I spent a lot of time learning about the families, about the old families, um, and also where to find information, you know, in Cuba, in Spain, um, or wherever else somebody might go, you know, different, different archives are different, different countries have different ways to access like baptisms or what have you. France was actually very straightforward for Paris. Um, Spain is can be hit or miss depending, you know, where you are. But it was really, it, it was actually a wonderful way to to learn more about um, researching genealogy. And ironically, one of the, I guess, biggest things that might be helpful, her father, her own father was obsessed with genealogy because everybody in those days mm -hmm. was actually really interested in genealogy because anytime you petitioned for something, you often started by saying, who you were the son of, you know, what services your family had rendered to the king or had done this. And this was not just wealthy people. This could be anyone, you know, because anyone who needed a pension or this or that, they'll say, you know. And so they would do these informants. Her father was obsessed when he wanted to get a, a second title. So he documented everything. He had a huge family tree and she writes about it. She writes about sitting on his lap as a child and he pointing out where she fit into the branches of her family tree. But I was going to say that all of these informists, these these documents that people would do to petition for whatever reasons, they're like a goldmine for genealogy. And you can still find quite a few of them um, mm -hmm. in Spain and, you know, through through bares, through the portal for looking at Spanish archives or what have you. And I've found for my own families, I've found lots of things like that. Um, and it, as I said, it doesn't actually have to be a family like you know her her father with his title or what have you it's often just normal what i would call just normal people you know yeah just um petitioning for what have you so yeah there's a a, a lot of genealogy is is linked to this book i think well that's great to know and and if people want to find the book here in the united states or in europe where should they go um they they can book. go to, yeah they can go to amazon or to you know um whichever, you know, places to buy books, um, it usually pops up now. So you can get a copy. Um, and yeah, hopefully they can, you can learn a little bit more. I also have a website, they can read more about her if they want to, um, on the website. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, hopefully they learn a little bit more about her and through her, maybe a little bit more about Cuban, you know, the Cuban world that she described and that she lived in. At that time, yeah, yeah, we, we don't ha we don't know a lot, and and the fact even when I was talking to you, you were describing some of the things that were going on in Havana. I just found that so fascinating. Yeah, no, she it, it's there's a bit of that. There is a bit of history in the book in the sense of trying to explain her father. You had to explain a lot of background. You know, trying to explain why her family did certain things. You had to explain sort of the context. But um, but she also, the nice thing with her own memoirs and her own books, and I quote a bit from them, she also describes places that, you know, Cubans might know or might have heard of, but at a different point in time, like her family owned a lot of land around San Antonio de los Baños, 
mm-hmm. you know, it was because that area was controlled. I was by the... born there. <laughs> well, she describes yeah. she describes swimming in San Antonio de los Baños with her cousins because the Cardenas family were the ones who sort of owned most of the land around there, and that's her her father's maternal side. Um, and she spent a lot of time there and she has this beautiful description of swimming with her cousins and, you know, grabbing fruit from trees. And, and she just, it's a, it's actually one of the most beautiful descriptions of a time. And she's talking about, um, you know, at the latest, it is probably, she's talking about the seven, the maybe 1800 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just amazing. So she describes certain things. Um, when she describes in Viaje a La Habana, one of the most famous things that everybody sort of quotes or they'll show it with a photo, uh, an image, um, are the carriage rides that people used to take, you know, mm-hmm. at certain times. But she describes them also in her memoirs as a child. You know, they would all go riding in carriages in the evenings to sort of like drift to sleep or, or you know, she talks about the famosa brisa, you know, what everybody talks about. She's She talks a lot about that and seeing the ocean from, you know, Havana Bay and all that stuff. So she really, really describes um, a place that if, if you see old Havana, mm-hmm. you realize what she's describing. It's really right. amazing. So, yeah. So, yes, she does talk about San Antonio de los Baños. I didn't realize you were born there. So I'll have to find right next to La Salud where, where I was raised. I was well, raised in Santo Cristo La Salud is right yeah. next to San Antonio de los Baños. Well, I will, um, I will find the quote and send it to you. So. Oh, that, thank you so much. <laughs> and listen, I'm not going to let you go until you tell me what, what are you doing next? What's up your sleeve? Any other books? Um, well, I've been doing a lot of research. Um, not sure. Well, a couple of projects. So, yeah, but it's all tied to Cuban history, different things. Um, some of, I found some interesting stories in my own family, like going back long time like going back to the 16th century and such so I'm trying to see if I can work something like that because I'm just fascinated by all the all the Cuban history I just find it fascinating and I love researching about it so and I feel like we don't know enough about it so it's yeah trying to share that with people so maybe but, like a memoir or something no not so much a memoir I think it would be more historical novel or something historical. like that you know okay. trying to make it so people would enjoy reading it but you know be stored because there's so many you know how they say truth is stranger than fiction I mm-hmm. that's the kind of stories I find like stories that you go you couldn't have invented if I tried to invent it I couldn't have invented it so well that's great thank you so much for being on the show no problem it's a privilege thank you so much it's it's wonderful to to have this chat about Mercedes Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and like to help support the Cuban Family Roots podcast, please share it with others, post it on your social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Cuban Family Roots or on Twitter at Cuban Family Roots Podcast or Facebook at Cuban Family Roots Podcast. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.